Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I love you. I love you guys. You're so amazing. Thank you so much for just the prayers that I've had over the last few weeks. Um, people that have texted me, called me, literally I'm everywhere I'm walking today, people are like, can I stop? Can I pray with you? Can I pray with you? So I feel so safe, like so safe in the house because this is such an incredible family to grow in and to develop into who God has called you to be. So um, no, no part of me thinks I'm standing here by accident. Like I know I'm here by the grace of God. Um, and I will boldly declare that the message I'm going to bring today is going to be a yoke-breaking message. I'm going to declare it like I completely partner with God and I declare that chains are going to be broken today in Jesus' name because the anointing breaks the yoke. And so, Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you, God. I thank you for the finished work and I thank you that I stand here not in my own strength, but I stand here because of you, Holy Spirit, and I commit every single word that I say into your beautiful, beautiful love, and anything that isn't of you, don't even let me say it, Jesus. So yeah, I just love you, Lord, and I just thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I'm going to be sharing about... um, Christ being our confession, Um, Pastor Rod texted me yesterday and said that, does he need to bring a Bible? Because usually I preach out of magazines. Um, So I have my Bible. Yes. Um, Yeah. The word that I'm going to bring, like, I, I really am declaring that it's a prophetic word because it's a testimony of what Jesus has done in my life. And Revelation talks about um, the testimony of Jesus is prophecy. And so I am declaring and I have believed that this word is going to multiply in your life and it's going to duplicate and everything that it's done for me that it's going to do for you and then it's going to do for more people that you release this prophetic statement to. So, as I said, I'm going to talk about um, Christ being our confession. So, I'm going to give you a bit of background as to why I'm sharing this message. Um, So, basically, loads of you might know that I I live by faith, and um, I'm just going to keep the Bible with me, I think. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I live by faith, and um, I've been doing that for six years, and there's been easier seasons when it comes to living by faith. And if I were to be quite honest, um, I think in the early part of when I was living by faith, I think I had pride, you know, because I had all these miracles coming in, and, you know, it was like this, yeah, I'm living by faith, everybody, I'm living by faith, you know. But it just got harder and harder, and actually it wasn't fun anymore. Like I found it really difficult to actually live miracle to miracle. And so especially over the last um, four months, it's been unbearable. And I found it so, so hard because I couldn't quite like work it out 
in my head, I couldn't quite work it out how I can have this incredible, glorious, heart-to-heart relationship with Jesus where I'm in his presence and I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me and I can feel him. I can actually feel him in my spirit every day. And then I look in my bank account and money's not there. And that disconnect of like, Jesus, I don't understand. Like, how can I be with you? How can we be enjoying this glorious relationship? How can I abide in you? You abide in me and you own all the wealth in all the world. But me, I don't have the money in my bank account to pay my bills. Like, I don't know what's going on. And the crazy thing was, it's like I would go to the Word and I would read it, but it got to a stage, if I were to be perfectly honest, it got to a stage where I assumed I knew what the Word said. I was like, okay, but I know what the Word says. You know, I study the Scriptures on prosperity and I kind of know and it's not really working in my life. I'm giving, you know, everything I'm getting, I'm giving away and I'm declaring and I'm decreeing. And then when I look in my bank account, there's still nada in it you know, and I'm having to buy things on my credit card and I just don't have peace about it. And then I'd go into God's presence and it was amazing. It was fireworks. I was just like, yeah, I can conquer the world. And then in the afternoon, I'd just be like, (laughs) and I was just in and out of rest and I couldn't work it out. And if I were to be honest, like, deep down in my heart, there was unbelief. There was doubt. Like when I was in his presence, I believed. I really, really believed. And then I'd come out of his presence and my circumstances would get worse. And then there'd just be this doubt and I'd be aloof from Jesus. And I'd just be like, yeah, but I don't even know if I really believe you. I believe you in some areas in my life. Like I believe you when it comes to destiny and I believe you when it comes to relationships and I believe that my family is going to be saved. But when it comes to prosperity, God, I just don't really know if I believe you. Like maybe it's for somebody else, maybe it's for everybody else, but maybe it's just not quite for me. Maybe this is just going to be my life. So there were areas in my life where I didn't actually believe in the finished work of the cross, but I didn't have language for any of this. All I just knew was that I didn't even need prosperity anymore. I didn't even want prosperity anymore. I knew in my heart that there was a bigger need that I had, and the bigger need was that I needed to have a stronger confession of Christ as my hope. That's what was the disconnect, but I didn't have language for this. And then when I went to California, I heard the most incredible message at Jubilee Church and Pastor Steve preached this message that has radically just changed my life. Like it has become my anthem. Like it has so transformed the way that I think. And that's the basis of this message. And it's going to be the basis of my song forevermore, what I learned that night at Jubilee Church. Because what Pastor Steve taught, and and many of you probably already know this, but for me, it was a connecting of the dots. Like Pastor Rod says, that the light switches on and it makes sense. And so when I was sitting there, the light switched on for me because what he shared is that for us to truly stay in a place of rest, we have to abide in the word. And you might be just like, yeah, point 101 Christianity, we know that. But it's not dipping in the word. It's not reading it every morning for your devotional time. It's abiding in it. It's actually dwelling in it so that the word is our habitation and we are a habitation for Jesus. The most conducive atmosphere that Jesus wants to live in is a heavenly atmosphere. 
And our hearts must be a heavenly atmosphere. And we can never cultivate a heavenly atmosphere in our hearts by simply dipping into the word. In order for us to stay in a place of rest, we have to abide in the word day in, day out. We have to be meditating on it. We have to be chewing it. We have to literally get everything that we are out of that word. Like We have to be like sponges that absorbs the word day and night. If we don't do that, then we will come in and out of rest. Only an experiential life with the word of God can keep us in a place of rest. And that's pretty much what I am going to talk about today. So I'm going to be sharing from Hebrews chapter 4. But in order for us to understand Hebrews um, chapter 4, we have to kind of like understand the first three chapters of Hebrews. So I'm going to try and give a quick summary. So what happens in, um, it's a bit heavy, I think I have to put it down. <laughs> um, as much as I'm in love with the word, but I need to put it down. Um, yeah, so to kind of give you like a bit of background, which again, many of you already um, know this, but what was happening in the Hebrews? So this letter is written to the Hebrews who were actually being persecuted. And in the middle of their persecution, they were beginning to question and doubt like whether they can allow their hope, whether Jesus is can be their confession of their hope. Because they were doubting that, you know, back in the day, the, the, the prophets and their forefathers received revelation from angels. Like, wow, they received special revelation about who God was from angels. And, um, you know, Moses gave the old covenant. But this Jesus, like, can we really believe that this Jesus, whose name we confess when we got saved, can we really, really believe that, you know, the revelation that he's given us is worthy of, you know, getting us through this persecution because they also thought that, you know, um, they had this idea that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would be, you know, like royal and he'll be on horses, probably not on horses, but, you know, like he'll be so like um, regal and he would um, save them all from their enemies. But Jesus, he like got, he got crucified. You know, this Jesus came as a human being, he got crucified and then um, sure he got resurrected, but you don't see him for dust now because he's gone to heaven. And the, the um, Hebrews are now there being persecuted. So they're like wondering, like, you know, maybe, maybe we should have trusted in the older covenant where the covenant and the revelation was coming from angels because they held the angels in such high regard. And so the author of Hebrews is saying to them, like, listen, the revelation that God was giving about who he was, he was giving from lots of different people. He was giving through prophets. He was giving through your forefathers. He was giving through miracles. He was giving it in lots of different ways through lots of different people. But Jesus, he is the single self-revelation of who God is. He's undivided. He is the complete image of God. He is the total expression of God. He can be trusted. Not only is he the total expression of God, but he is the son of God who, through whom everything was created, all the heavens and all the earth and all space and all time. And he is far superior to angels. Angels are just ministering, uh, you know, ministering angels that minister to those that are going to inherit salvation. But Jesus is the author of salvation. 
This is what the author is saying to them. And he's saying, so this author of uh, salvation of all the earth, of everything that you will ever see, all the universe, space and time and ages, this is who you need to put your trust in. And the only time he was lower than angels is when he became a human being, not because he was in any way inferior, but because he became a human so that he could suffer in the way that we will suffer. He became a human being so he could sympathize with the trials and the weaknesses and the testings that we go through. And he did that so that he could die in our place, so that he could become our sacrifice and set us free. That's what this Jesus did. And then not only did he overcome death, but now now he's seated in the right, in heavenly places, seated at the right hand of God. Believe in Jesus is what he's saying to the Hebrews. Believe in him because what he's bought is a better covenant. What he's bought is he is God. He is he's the full revelation of God in his fullness. And you know, you're thinking that, oh, Moses was a better servant because he served in the house of God. But Jesus served in the house of God as the master. Jesus is the, is the master of the house. And so don't get doubtful. The covenant that Jesus has bought is the perfect covenant, the perfect revelation. And so he's saying, believe in him, trust in him. He is a high priest worthy of you to put your trust in him. Don't be like the Israelites who even in the old covenant, as amazing as it was, as incredibly um, revealing of God as it was, the Israelites, the wilderness generation doubted and they didn't enter into the promised land. So the author of Hebrews is saying, don't be like them. You've received the most incredible, perfect revelation ever. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. Don't be in unbelief enter into rest. And the only way you can enter into rest is when you believe. And this message still stands today. This message is still as relevant today as it was in the days of the Hebrews, as it was in the days of the wilderness years. Because all of us, if we doubt, we won't enter into rest. And rest is a confidence in the finished work of Jesus, of what he's already done. And we have an invitation, every single one of us, we have an invitation to enter into rest and to stay in rest. And so I am going to pick up from Hebrews 4 verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. Constantly, the word tells us, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. The word's telling us, be afraid. If there's something you better be afraid of, it's of unbelief. We better be afraid of not believing the finished work. Don't be afraid of believing in him. Be afraid of distrusting him. Be afraid of being aloof. Be afraid of, yeah, yeah, kind of, I guess, God, I guess your word says it, but I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Be afraid of that. Be afraid of waking up in the morning and being like, oh gosh, you know what, Lord, I just, I just don't believe. Because that's what I was going through. Like I would get on my face and I would cry and I'd say, Jesus, 
I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Because there were times where I was like, God, I don't even know. I don't know if I believe you. I would say those words. I don't know if I truly believe that you're going to do what you said you were going to do in my life. I don't know if I believe you. And I can feel your love. And I know you are good. And I didn't want to break agreement with his word because his word wasn't the problem. I was the problem. The disconnect in my mind was the problem. You know, there was lack there in the way that I was seeing things. His word is perfect. His goodness is flawless. His love is boundless. He is perfect in all of his ways. The disconnect was in here. And the more I stayed in doubt, the worse it would get. I was like a fish out of water, and it would go water, and it would go like... It would go on for days, you know, and then I'd be, my heart would be so heavy. And then there would be like this, this thing happens sometimes when I'm in unbelief where my eyes just glaze over and like people are saying things and I'm just like, I don't actually know if I believe you. We've got to be so careful that we don't go there. We should be afraid to go there. And the minute it kicks in, the minute something just stirs up in you, you're just like, "Mm, I don't know. Immediately, you need to capture that thing. Immediately, we need to start declaring scripture and entering into rest. And the only way we can do that is by abiding in the word. And it goes on, like in the same scripture, it says, um, lest any of you should think he has come too late and has come too short of reaching it. How many times have we thought that we've missed it? We've missed it. Oh, actually, you know what? Maybe I just missed it. Maybe, maybe my behavior. Maybe I'm not qualified anymore. Maybe I just, you know, maybe they're going to get it because they've been doing X, Y, and Z, but not me. That's unbelief. That's not believing in the finished work. Because the finished work is what God has already done and it's available to all of us. So we've got to be very, very careful when those seeds of doubt come in, we need to get them straight away and bring them under the captivity of the word of God is what we need to do. Verse 2, for indeed we have had the glad tidings, gospel of God, proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. With the leaning of the entire personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness by those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who heard, who did believe. We can hear the word of God again and again and again. But if we don't mix it with faith, it's no benefit to us. No benefit at all. We can come to church on a Sunday. Pastor Rod, Pastor Jay could preach off the charts. But if we're not actually going to mix the word with the faith, then they may as well have not have bothered. Because it's only the promises of God that are mixed with faith that allow the benefit of the finished work to manifest in our lives. We have to be very, very militant about stirring our faith up. We can only stir our faith up by confessing the word, by believing the word, by continuously declaring the word. That's what actually stirs up our faith. And we don't even need that much faith. The word says we only need a mustard seed. So the faith is already there. But we have to develop our confidence. And if we don't mix that confidence with what God has already done, then it's futile. 
And if we don't hang out, because um, Caleb and Joshua, they believed. But the Israelites stood aloof from God. They stood aloof from um, Caleb and Joshua. And sometimes we, we, we kind of hang around people who have unbelief. But if we want to stir up our faith, we need to hang around those that have got faith. Hang around with people. Like, I know every time I share, I always mention Tina. But if I'm feeling like, like you know, shaky in my faith, I just ring Tina up. Like, in a split second, she's like, right, Bobby. And then I get off the phone and I go straight away and I start praying. Like, praying. If I ever feel spiritually dead, I just literally just call her up. And she will, she, and I could just be calling her up about something random, like something very practical. And within 10 seconds, the scripture is right in the middle of our conversation. And then she's sharing a testimony. And then she's saying like, and so this morning when I was just reading the word, I really just felt the Lord say, and then instantly I'm, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, 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 Tina, I need to get off the phone. It takes about 45 minutes, but I said, Tina, I need to get off the phone. Because in my heart, I'm thinking, I need to go and pray. Like I need to go and pray. Like she... Because she walks in so much faith, because she abides in the word. I cannot hang around her for 10 seconds until immediately within me there's a stirring that, oh my gosh, what the heck am I doing here on the phone? I need to go and pray. So we need to hang around with people that actually um, have faith. And the thing is, with the Israelites, they saw so many miracles. Like they saw miracles. You know, they had God deliver them again and again and again. They had breakthrough again and again and again. But it did not sustain their confidence. So we can go and, you know, pursue breakthrough. We can pursue the miraculous. We can pursue all the jazz and all the fireworks. But it boils down to that abiding faith. It boils down to what your life is like in between the miracles, in between the word, in between all the fire and, you know, all the um, dazzle and the glitz. What are you like in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, before you even hit church? Because if that is weak, then all the miracles in the world are not going to make any difference to your life whatsoever. And then it says in verse 3, for we who have believed, adhered to, and trusted in, and relied on God, do enter that rest in accordance with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter when he said, as I swore in my wrath, they should not enter my rest. And this he said, although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. So God prepared all of this before the world was even created. The word prepared um, talks of like sowing seeds, laying down the foundation. So even before time began, God had already prepared everything that he was going to do. He had prepared it all. But at the cross, Jesus came and finished it. He came and he sealed it. That's why it is finished. Because everything that God had prepared before time had even begun, Jesus came and sealed that. And this finished work is available. God knew, even at the beginning of time, God knew that this finished work would be available to anyone who believed. And he also knew that those that did not believe in what God had prepared and what Jesus had done on the cross, those that did not believe would not enter the rest. And what that means is you don't, you don't see the fulfillment of the finished work. It doesn't come to pass in your life. So everything that Jesus has done on the cross, 
It's a done deal. It's done. But unless we enter into rest, it's not within our reach. It's available to us. But in order to have what Jesus has already done, we have to believe. When I was like, um, like God has taken me on such a mental journey since, you know, I, I heard this message. Like my encounters with the word are just mind blowing. And I'm just loving the discovery of the word, like how it just unveils stuff and unveils stuff and unveils stuff. Like I never knew you could hang out with one word in scripture for days no idea. Pastor Rod talks about it, and I'd just be like, hmm, that's good. Because uh, it's not, no, 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 I'd cover it. Of course I want it, but I didn't know, I didn't know. But now I know, because I'm experiencing it. And I remember, like, just one of the words that really just smacked me in the face, literally, was the word believers. Like, you know, in this, um, for we who have believed... Like, we're believers. And I'm sure Pastor Rod's taught on this. We're believers. That's what we do. We're believers. We believe. That's our identity. We believe. We're not doubters. We're not waverers. We're believers. Like, that's who we're called to believe. We're believers. God says it. We believe. That's what we do. And so when we doubt, that's not actually who we are. We are believers and we have to guard our belief. We have to guard our identity as believers with every inch of our being. Anything that tries to come and attack that, attack our belief, we have to resist because we are believers. We are not doubters. That's who we are. Thank you. Amen indeed. Okay, verse 4. For in a, no, actually, don't worry about that. Let's go to verse 10. For he who has once entered God's rest also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors, just as God rested from those labors, peculiarly his own. The first mention of the word rest is in Genesis um, 6, I think, because Noah's name means rest. So Noah's name means rest from toil, from working the ground, from the labor. So all the toil that Adam and Eve's, um, uh, you know, sin, as a result of their sin, the ground was cursed. And so mankind had to toil and the man, mankind had to labor. But God creates Noah and Noah's name means rest, ceasing from toil, ceasing from labor. And then a few scriptures down, it says, Noah met grace. So rest met grace. In order for us to receive God's grace, to be able to patiently wait for the finished work to be manifested, in order for us to have the grace for that patience, we first have to rest. If we don't rest, we don't see the manifestation. You can't, because the finished work is available to those that are in rest. But when we're toiling and when we're laboring in our self-effort and we're trying to make things happen for ourselves, we frustrate the grace and then we don't see the manifestation of what has already been done. So in order for us to actually step into what has already been done, we first have to step into rest. Like something God just showed me this week is... um, a few months ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I don't know, I was just thanking God because whenever I'm in a, like a weird um, place and my heart goes cold, um, 
God in his goodness, just before the breakthrough, he will tenderize my heart and get me back in that place of rest again. And I constantly just thank him, Jesus, thank you for your mercy that you didn't let me have that breakthrough until my heart was tender towards you again. But as I was studying this, what I realized is Jesus wanted me to have that breakthrough all along. But my hard heart couldn't allow it. And it was only when my heart became tender, it was only when I entered into rest that I, I released the breakthrough. Me. Because he wants it to be mine the whole time. He's already done it. It's there. It's for the taking. It manifests in rest. It was literally at the door waiting to be manifested. It was only when my heart was tender and I entered into rest that I could have it manifested in my life. And so God has already said to us, the promises are there. They're yours. You can have them. But first enter into rest. And when we doubt and when we enter into trying to do it in our own strength and we, um, you know, engage in self-effort, we are withholding the breakthrough from ourselves. We're the ones doing it. We're the ones that are denying the very thing that we want because we're trying to do it in our own effort. And we're, you know, wasting all that time meditating on worry, on negative, when in fact God wants us to meditate in the word, abide in the presence, enjoy him. And that's the thing. He wants us to enjoy him. Just like Pastor Rod said about making God smile. You know, the thing that makes God smile is when we enjoy him. When we just enjoy living in him, and him living in us, and we enjoy him. Enjoying him through the trials, enjoying him on the mountaintops, enjoying him in the valley experiences. We just enjoy him, you know? And what often happens is, it certainly happened with me, I couldn't enjoy him. Because I'd just be like, I'm poor. How can I enjoy you? (laughs) You know, like... I don't get it. I'm confused. Like, I couldn't enjoy him. I could enjoy him when I was right in his presence because the word tells us that at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Of course I could enjoy him when I was with him. But as soon as I came out of his presence, I would, like, it would be fine. It would be fine. I remember going to Lucy's house one day and I'd been in the presence of the Lord that morning and I came to, came to her house and I just broke down. I cried like a baby. Like, and I remember saying to her that, I know it's not the Lord, it's me. I just need to increase my favor. Because in his presence, I was fine, but it's when I came out of his presence, that's when um, I was struggling. I don't even remember what I was saying, but yeah. Verse 11. Um, Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter the rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those into which those in the wilderness fell so god is saying like cease from doing things in your own effort trying to make things happen when it's already been done and you're trying to make things happen in your own strength you just have to rest this is what i was saying you have to enjoy god And God wants us to, despite the circumstances, despite not knowing what's going to happen, he just wants us to trust that Jesus has already done it and that it's a done deal and that we can trust him that in the right timing, he will bring the manifestation of that promise when we're ready for it, when, you know, according to his perfect redemptive plan, it will all come to pass. And in the meanwhile, we just enjoy him. 
That's what makes him smile. When we're able to say, okay, God, you know, my bank accounts are zero, but I'm just loving being with you. And you can only do that when you're in the place of rest, where you're like, okay, but I know you own everything. And I know that you've got it covered. And I know that no matter what, you will sustain me and you will bring me through this trial and you will bring me through this season because you are good and you are good all the time. And even though I might not see it manifested in the natural, but actually I know you're going to do it. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to enjoy him because when we try and um, engage in self-effort, then what we're really saying is, I don't actually believe you. I don't believe that you've done it. That's why I'm worrying. That's why I'm fretting. That's why I'm trying to take action and put matters into my own hand, because deep down, I don't really believe you. And this is the thing, people, like either we believe God or we don't. Bottom line, we either believe God or we don't. And I just pray that there will just be such a settling in our soul today. We're just like, okay, we believe God. We believe in the finished work. We actually believe that Jesus died on the cross. And when he died, he conquered death and he conquered every bit of sickness and he conquered every division and he conquered every poverty. He conquered every malfunction, every dysfunction. He conquered everything. And he's alive today and he lives in me and I live in him and he loves me and he's got me covered. We either believe that or we don't. Because not believing it is not an option. We have to believe it. That's the only way we're actually going to see the fullness of God's um, promises in our lives. And so God says that don't strive in any way whatsoever, but strive in one way and one way alone. And that's to enter into the rest. That's the only place when you're working. That's the only place when you're exerting yourself diligently. Because we could enter into rest, but staying there is the challenge. Because when I was in God's presence and enjoying him, you know, on my face, I was in rest. But I wasn't staying there because then my circumstances would overwhelm me. And what we need to do is we need to stay in the rest and we actually have to go out of our way to make sure that's happening. So if circumstances come or an attack comes on your place of rest, we have to actually hit back. Like Dom says, you have to apply pressure to pressure. And you come back and you actually say, no, in the name of Jesus, I will not let the circumstances overwhelm me. I believe in the finished work. I believe what Jesus has done for me. And you take the word and you confess the word. And you actually hit that situation again and again and again and again with the word of God until that word actually becomes a truth that we operate from. Because the bottom line is that we are the dwelling place of Christ and we are heavenly citizens. We are heavenly citizens. We're not even of this realm. We're heavenly citizens. But when we come out of rest, we don't see what that looks like to actually be positioned in heaven with Jesus, looking at all our circumstances from that heavenly position. Only in rest do we have that perspective. Only in rest can we face every trial and still bloom in the wilderness. Only in rest can we be refreshed in the desert place. Only in rest can we have peace and enjoy God and just smile and just, you know, just because he's with us and we're here with him. Only in rest can we do that. So we have to guard that place of rest. And because we're human, of course, we're going to have challenges every single day. There's going to be a theft out on our rest by the enemy every single day. So I'm not saying that once you enter into rest, bam, you're going to stay there. 
So we actually have to militantly fight to stay in rest. Every single time an attack comes and brings doubt, brings worry, brings weariness, brings toil, we have to immediately enter into rest through the word. And that is the key. And this is what has radically changed my life when I just realized that, oh my gosh, I need to live. I need to live in this. I actually need to live in the word of God. And whenever I used to um, read uh, Hebrews 4.12, and it talked about the word of God, somewhere in the back of my mind, I'd be like, mm, it's an odd place for this scripture to be. Like, it didn't really make sense. You know, it kind of just sitting there, all this stuff about um, Jesus, the high priest, and all of that stuff. And then, oh, okay, the word of God speaks to da 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 It didn't make sense to me. But now I understand why it's right here. Because this is the key. This is the key. Sorry, pastor. But this is the key. Like, I only just got it. This is the key to staying in rest, abiding in the word of God. So it says, for the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breadth of life, soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. The word is alive. It's alive. And so many of the times our experience of the word is words. Just words. And I believe it. Because it's the word of God. So I get wisdom for it, from it, and I can learn from it, and it gives me instruction, and it sometimes gives me comfort. But it's very rarely that I had an experience with the word, where the word was alive. This word is constantly in God's presence because it is God. This is Jesus. And because it's constantly in God's presence, it's continuously flourishing, it's blossoming, it's gaining value, it's in the presence of God. Every time we read it, we have to read it with a full expectation that this isn't just words, this is alive. Every single word in this Bible has the capacity to take us into an experiential encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And this ultimately is what living on earth is about knowing the person of Jesus. And this is what we're going to do for all of our days. In all of eternity, we are going to know Jesus. This word tells us who this person of Jesus is. And this was my struggle because I love the presence of God. And like, I find it so easy to get into his presence and enjoy him, but not often with the word. Like in my quiet time, it's like, okay, I'm just going to go and, you know, with Jesus. And then, okay, I better read some scripture. (laughs) You know, like that's how it was for me, you know, and then, oh, I'm going to pray. And the prayer and the presence, like that was all mixed up. And obviously I'd use rhema words and I used the scripture, but I never knew this was a doorway. I never knew that this is actually a doorway to the person of Christ. Like I can actually find out who Jesus is through every single word in this Bible. And if I give God like the opportunity to make his word come alive to me through the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, then I can encounter the person of Jesus through every one of these words. And that's what unlocked it for me. Because I just want to know Jesus. 
And so when I found out that, oh my gosh, I can actually know Jesus more through this word, that was it. And so I started engaging with the word and it opened door upon door upon door where I just went on this crazy discovery. And this is everything that Pastor Steve was teaching. And if you want to know more about um, what he was teaching about mansions, please go to jubileechurch.org. You'll be able to get the whole sermon. But this is what he was teaching that, you know, you go on a discovery. This is a portal into a supernatural realm because we are supernatural beings. We can't read the word as humans. We can't read the word as natural beings. We have to read the word as supernatural beings because we're about to, when we engage with this word, we, we enter into a supernatural realm where we begin to see with the eyes of our heart and we see the reality of Jesus. We see the reality of heaven. We see the reality of our citizenship as heavenly citizens. When we just read it as the word, it's just the word. It's instruction. But words are just words until they become experiences. And when they become experiences and you keep going back to that same experience again and again and again, then that experience becomes a dwelling place. It becomes a timeless truth that you actually begin to live from. Unshakable. It becomes so real to you. And that's certainly what has happened to me. Like when I realized that the word was alive, I mean, I knew that, but to experience it in this way has just changed my life. Like as soon as I heard that message, I went straight home. I had a bit of jet lag, so I went to sleep. And then um, first thing, five o'clock the next morning, I woke up and I got my Bible and I literally opened up at Hebrews 3 verse 1. And I stayed on three, three words for the next 10 days. Like he just kept unveiling stuff to me and unveiling stuff and unveiling. And every single time I went back to that word again, those three words in Hebrews um, 3, 1, every time I went, it was like the, the encounter had become more potent. It become more powerful because it had gained more value since the last time I'd engaged with it. And it become a deeper experience for me and opened my eyes more and more to who Jesus was. And so as I pressed in, he would show more and more stuff to me. He would give me more imagery. And that's what the word does. The word gives us imagery. This is why it's so important that we meditate on the word. Like you need to actually chew it. We need to say it again and again and again because we've got distractions from the enemy coming constantly. And so if we're just reading the word in our mind, then all of that, you know, distractions from the enemy is stronger than our thoughts. Just like, you know, in our head, right? So I'm just going to read this in my head. But actually when you say it and when you chew over it again and again and again, for a start, you silence the voice of the enemy. And as you chew over it, again and again and again. It begins to present a picture to you. It, it displaces the existing imagery that we have in our mind. And when we read the word, we're going to the word to open our eyes up to, well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in my need? Who is Jesus as I'm worshiping him? Who is Jesus in that area where I really need leading and direction? Who is Jesus? What does perfect, what does the finished work look like? If, I, if I'm battling and I don't have love in me, I'm going to go in the Word and I'm going to meditate. I'm going to chew. I'm going to chew. I'm going to chew. So I'm going to keep repeating those words until my dysfunctional imagery of love is erased and the truth, the finished work of what love is. Until That's when I start getting a new picture, a heavenly picture, the truth, the imagery in my mind, the eyes of my heart begin to see what the finished work looks like when it comes to love. If I'm lacking joy, I go and do, do that in the Bible. Like if I'm 
depressed. And I go and see, well, what does the finished work look like in joy? And I keep saying it. I keep saying it. I keep repeating over it. I use a commentary. You know, I use the Hebrews um, original terms. This is why the Amplified Bible is so phenomenal because it actually breaks the terms down. And so we have to be people that study the word. You, you know, to chew the word is to really allow it to be broken down. And there are so many resources available for us so that we can really break it down and get the bigger picture. And that helps with our imagery. And I, I found that, um, like with this whole uh, poverty thing that was going on, um, like God showed me that I, I didn't even have an image of myself rich. You know? Like, I didn't have an image of prosperity for myself. And as I've, I haven't even got to studying about um, prosperity yet because I can't get off of Jesus as a high priest. But just getting an understanding of the finished work, like I've already been delivered of so much stuff when it comes to all the prosperity stuff. But what God wanted to show me was, Bobby, you, you've made agreements with poverty. You know, you don't even see yourself as wealthy. And even though you're praying it, and even though you want it for yourself, like I need to displace the existing imagery that you have in your mind. And as you pursue me, and as you keep meditating on those scriptures, as you keep seeing me in your need, I will displace the wrong imagery that you have when it comes to this particular area in your life. And so what the word of God does, it displaces the wrong imagery. It cancels out the negative words and the negative belief systems and the fears and all the junk that we've got and it replaces us with the imagery of what the finished work actually looks like. And this is why we really need to um, meditate on the word and understand that it really is alive and that it's the doorway to the presence of God. It's the doorway to his personhood. And I've also understood that by abiding in the word, I want to undergird everything with the word. Like Literally for the five the last five weeks, like I can't I can't engage in worship without a Bible. Like I, I, I'm finding because the word is what sustains us. You know, experiences fizzle out. And so we can come here on a Sunday and it can be glorious because we've got such a phenomenal, you know, <coughs> excuse me, worship band that they take us to the heights Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You know, we've got Pastor Rod, Pastor Jay preaching and we can be here on a Sunday and just be like, yeah, I was in heaven today. And then come Monday, you're like, mm, I don't even know what scripture I should use for my quiet time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry. Um, but what I've been doing, um, it's been glorious because like I'm finding the scriptures in the in the songs, because when Monday kicks in, like I'm already, I've already had an experience that I want it continued. And this is the thing. God takes us on a discovery with his word. There is no limitation to his word. He'll open something up to you and there is no end to where he can take you. And he doesn't want you just to have an encounter. Oh, I was just reading the word. I'm just going to, I'm done with that now. He wants that word to just continue going, continue going, continue going, continue going. So what we engage with through the worship songs, if they're undergirded with scripture, we just take that discovery right into Monday, right into Tuesday, right into Wednesday. So on a Monday, I am pressing into those scriptures that God revealed to my heart through the songs. Because when the magic of the worship fizzles out, as it will, because experiences do fade, but it's the word of God that continues to sustain me. And as I keep pressing into the word, it takes me straight back to the worship experience that I had. And it's like this amazing dance that I'm having with Jesus. And it's non-stop. It's like, I don't know what door he's going to take me through. I don't know what he's going to 
unveil next. I don't know what he's going to reveal to me about who he is. All I just know is I've never, ever, ever had such an amazing time with the word. And this is what I want for all of my days. Like this word is the most incredible resource ever. And I would just love for us to really, if you don't already have it, to tap into it for yourselves. And so to undergird everything with this word. So in the worship, in, in, you know, the prophetic words that we get, the promises, we have to undergird the promises of God with the word of God. Because you can read these promises and be like, oh, yes. Okay, excellent. So that's fantastic. But then unless you are abiding in the word, that just becomes a scripture, a distant scripture, you know, and you're not dwelling in it. It's not a timeless truth that you're dwelling in. It's just something that the word says, and you are sure it's true, but your confidence is not in the finished work. So your circumstances, if that doesn't come to pass in in your life, or things aren't happening that are moving towards what you have just read, then you begin to doubt whether that's even going to happen or not. And that especially happens with prophetic words. Because when we get a prophetic word, if it's not undergirded with the word of God, then we will line that, you know, we'll line our circumstances up with that prophetic word. And it'd be like, oh, well, in that prophetic word, it said that I was going to be, you know, married. Not for me, but for somebody else. And um, you can be like, oh, it said I was going to be married, you know, in 18 months. And then it doesn't happen. So then you're like, oh, well, that prophetic word couldn't have been right. Because you're lining that prophetic up with your that prophetic word up with your circumstances. But if you take every word that you ever get given and you line it up with the word of God, then your trust is not in the timing of what that prophetic word said. It's not in how it happened. It's not in your mind. Well, that means that I'm going to meet someone on the 15th of July. And then it means that by the 17th of July, we should be engaged. And then, you know, you're not thinking like that. You're just thinking, okay, I know that the father loves me and his promises to me are yes and amen. And he wants me to be in a family and he wants me to be married and he puts a solitary into family. So I'm just going to trust him. I'm just going to trust in the finished work. I'm going to trust in his goodness. I'm going to trust in his perfect timing. And so every word that we get, every prophetic word that we get, we undergird it with the word of God. Otherwise we end up holding God ransom to that word. We start literally, it's like an invisible gun to God's head. You know, like literally you said, you know, and that's the thing with rhema words, like if we're not abiding in the word, if we don't trust in the finished work, sometimes you can get a rhema word. And yes, this is the sword of the spirit, but sometimes we use it on Jesus. You know, like sometimes we actually use it as a weapon on Jesus. You like, you said, you know, you said this would happen. And you said that would, when actually it's just, you know what? You said it will happen and I'm just going to enjoy you. And I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to keep meditating on this word and letting the, the fullness of that word grow inside of me. And this is especially important in our place of need. Because if we truly, truly, truly believed in the word of God, we would have no needs. If we believed in the finished work of God, we would have no needs. Because we'd be like, it's already been done. The only reason we have needs is because those are areas where the finished work of God hasn't fully grown in us and it hasn't become a timeless truth and it's still just a seed. So it's an area of lack where the truth of the finished work still needs to manifest in our minds and in our heart. And this is why it's crucial that in our places of need, we have to undergird 
Those places where there's lack of our understanding of the finished work and our trust in the finished work and our confidence in what God has done in that particular area, this is why we have to undergird it with the word. And so those issues that I was going through with my finances, um, it was because I didn't have enough word. Because I was just like, well, you know what? I've studied it. I've studied it. I've studied it. I'm giving. I'm being generous. Nothing's happening. Because I... I was going to the word making assumptions. I was going to the word making assumptions that I knew what it said. Yeah, I know what it says. I know. And the only thing I had, I, like I said, I refused to break agreement with the word because I know the word is true, but I wasn't abiding in it. I wasn't allowing myself to go on a discovery and allowing Jesus to displace all of my hurt, all of my anxiety, all of my fear, which is what he wanted to do. I wasn't giving him the opportunity of doing that and replacing that dysfunction with what he says about prosperity for me in my life. I wasn't doing that. And oftentimes we go to the word and we think we know it. We think, okay, well, you know what, I studied, I'm sure Pastor Rod did a teaching on that in 2012, so I know it. But actually, the word is constantly evolving, it's constantly blossoming, it's constantly flourishing. And as we keep going back to the word, and the eyes of our heart keep enlarging, we will see more in that scripture. If we choose to believe that it is alive and it's simply not words, we will see more in that scripture if we go with the posture of looking for discovery looking for the person of Jesus. If we're just going there and looking for a solution, we're not going to find it. We have to go in there and allow God to take us on a journey in the place of our need. And I have often found, certainly what I'm discovering now, is when my needs are not being met, it's because there's a bigger need that I have that I'm not aware of. And so when I was like praying and just like, Jesus, I just need, just need you to give me a breakthrough in finances. God's like, Bobby, you've got a bigger need than finances right now that I want to get to. And the more I kept meditating in the word, and this is why we need to keep meditating in the word, because this, the, um, how it says, you know, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the divided line of the breath of life, soul, and the immortal spirit and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. When we keep chewing on the word in our place of lack, in our place where we need to grow the word and we need to get a fuller understanding of what the finished work looks like in that area, when we keep meditating on the word, God brings to the surface all of our junk. Because he could, by all means, he could give me money. But where he began to show me, he was like, Bobby, I could absolutely, I could make you rich in a split second. But your agreement with poverty still would be there. And like, I'm trying to teach you right now, Bobby. You, you, you keep being a steward and I'm trying to teach you to be a son. And if I give you all the wealth that I want to give you, you would steward it like a steward. But I need you to steward it like a son. And he was like, so the finances isn't the issue here, Bobs. I could give you the money in a split second. But it's how you see yourself. He's like, Bobby, I could take you to a palace tomorrow. But you would just go and hang out in the servant quarters. Because of the way that you see yourself. And this is what the Lord does. 
When we chew and chew and we abide in the word and we invite the word into our need and we go on this discovery, he brings, he exposes, he separates soul from spirit. He deals with all of the stuff that's actually hindering us from receiving the finished work in our lives. All the stuff that's stopping us from entering into rest so that we can see the manifestation of the finished work in our life. He deals with all of that stuff first. And I'm just like, yes, that's amazing. Like, I've got so much dysfunction. It's so good because I'm like, that stuff could be hidden in me. And I would not be able to be the person that God has called me to be. Like, I want it all out of me. And through the word, it's all coming to the service. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, wow. I didn't even know that I saw myself as a, well, I think I do need to see myself as a steward. But, like, I didn't realize that that was the issue. And now that I know that that is the issue, I'm going to go, once I finish studying about high priest and Christ being a confession, and once I go on the prospect, so much to study, so much to dive into, then I'm going to study about royalty. Because I want a picture of what royalty looks like, you know, because as I said um, to Sheila and a couple of the other women uh, a few weeks ago, that I don't even have a picture of royalty for myself. I don't. Loads of us don't. You know, and it says we're a royal priesthood. It says we're a chosen generation. What does it even mean to be royal? What does it mean to actually be royal? Only the word of God can show us what it means to be royal. Everything that we are, our full identity in Christ, the finished work in us, will only be a picture in our vision when we study the word. Not just study it, chew it, chew it with the intention of meeting Jesus. Because it's our vision. Our vision is too small. Before I even started doing any of this, last year when I was at David's tent, like God literally said to me that, Bobby, my hands are tied. I can't do anything in your life because your vision is too small. Like you tie my hands up because according to Ephesians 3.20, I can do exceedingly abundantly above what you ask or imagine. And if your imagination is small, you tie my hands up. I can't give you all the things that I want to give you until you visualize for yourself the finished work in your life. And so the word of God gives us vision and it deals with all of the dysfunction, all of the junk that gets in our, you know, that that presents blind spots to us. He deals with all of that. And I want to encourage you, if you're thinking, why is God not meeting my needs? There are other bigger needs he's dealing with. Don't get into unrest, stay in rest, because as you stay in rest, those needs will be met as well. Because the crazy thing is, as soon as I got into rest, like my finances got sorted straight away. It was me, I was frustrating the grace, frustrating the grace because I was in unbelief. And when we enjoy him and when we just trust him and we dive into the word and we allow the word to become an experience until who he is and the finished work, what the finished work has done for us, as we keep allowing that to become a truth, we can just enjoy him. We can enjoy the process. That's what he wants. And we're not to fear the stuff coming up. You know, like oftentimes like we want to be seen as so super spiritual I've got this covered, you know, I don't have unbelief, you know, I'm fine. But actually, like, let's be transparent. Let's deal with the junk. Let's deal with the stuff that we're actually dealing with. And let's not be scared to go in front of Jesus as our high priest and let him 
strip us of everything. Oftentimes, like we're in prayer and like a, a negative thought will come up and you're just like, oh, meant to be holy. So you just keep praying, pretend it hasn't happened, you know, <laughs> like, but actually God wants you to deal with that with him. He's like, he's brought it up so we can, you know, journey on it together and so that he can displace wherever that came from and talk about, well, hold on. Why do you feel that way? What's that rooted in? Like what voices, what lies have you believed? Come on, let me displace that doubt. Let me displace that unbelief and let me show you the finished work in that area. But if we're constantly all pretend you didn't hear that, Jesus. <laughs> when you do that, it's like he can't deal with it because we're in denial. But actually, like the word goes on to say in 13, it says, and not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight But all things are open and exposed, naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So that's speaking of us being accountable to Jesus and that being under under the presence of the word, like letting the word expose us so that we're naked, we're stripped bare of everything. Like nakedness is not a bad place to be in the realm of the spirit, you know, because then you're stripped bare of all your stuff. And oftentimes we, we're embarrassed or we're ashamed or we feel condemned about these naked, um, sorry, these thoughts that we're having where, where our soul is exposed and naked before God. But he's our high priest. We can come before him. Like in the, in the church, like in the Catholic church, when they go and um, do confession and they go to the priest, that, that priest is probably, not probably, but you know, he's, he's a sinner. But our high priest is perfect. And he became human on our behalf so he can sympathize with every single weakness, every single thing that we go through, all of the junk, all of the stuff, all the temptation, all the trials. He went through it all so he totally can sympathize with us. But because he's perfect, he's not overcome by that stuff. So we don't have to be scared about all the stuff that's being exposed. We can be excited. I'm pretty excited because, again, Tina said this thing once. She said, God reveals to redeem. When we let the word of God reveal all of the stuff in us, we should be excited because the Holy Spirit is on the move and he's about to redeem stuff. Redeem stuff that stops us from walking in victory, that stops us from operating in the breakthrough, that stops us from living in in the finished work, that stops us from seeing the manifestation of everything that God has promised come to pass come to pass in our lives. All that stuff God is actually wanting to deal with, wanting to redeem all those areas that hinder us. So it's not a bad thing to let the word expose all of our stuff. And then it goes 14, in as much then as we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. When I used to kind of um, think of this scripture, I used to think, that we were taking our needs and our trials before God. Um, yeah, those places where we need grace um, because, you know, bad things are happening or um, we've got, I don't know, um, obstacles that we're facing. But now I feel like God's saying, like, come to me with your weaknesses. 
Like, come to me those places where you fall short. Come to me with those places where you're embarrassed and ashamed. The stuff that comes up to the surface where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not actually as spiritual as I thought I was. Or, oh my gosh, I actually, I don't think I like that person. You know, like all these things that, that we're embarrassed about that we wouldn't tell someone else because then they'll think that we're not really spiritual. But he's like, okay, you know what? Come to me with all your weaknesses, all your shortcomings, all those places where you're actually a little bit embarrassed. Come to me. Come to me with your nakedness. Just come to me as you are, junk and all, warts and all. Come to me. And the whole time you're coming to me, confess me as the confession of your hope. Confess me, my perfection, my righteousness, my holiness, my, my strength, all the things that Casey was singing about, my kindness, my beauty. You keep confessing all of that. doesn't matter what junk and what shortcomings are coming up in, you know, in, in, in the surface of your heart. You confess me as the hope. You confess me as the one in whom you have believed and come into my presence. Let me be the confession of your hope. And then it goes on to say, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Our confession of hope in Christ is the greatest thing we can bring back to him. And as we meditate on the word and as we grow the word, as the word grows inside of us and we get a fuller picture of what the finished work looks like, We keep declaring that. We keep praying that. We keep pressing into it. We keep confessing it. That's what we bring to Jesus. Every time we're in prayer, we come to him and we say, you know what, Jesus, even though I've got weaknesses, even though I've got offense in my heart, I just thank you that I am your righteousness. Your word says that I am your righteousness. The word says that I'm made in your image. And if you are kind and you are perfect, then I am kind and I am perfect. And I confess this and I hold on to this and I don't even care what other junk might be coming up in my heart. I am going to confess and hold on to the fact that you have made me in your image and I'm going to keep praying this. I'm going to keep blessing everyone who may have offended me. And you keep confessing Jesus as your hope. And not only is is he our high priest and we've put our trust in his perfection and his works and the finished work, he's also our mediator. And so when we go to him, as we confess him as our hope, we go to him and he takes our very confession of hope And he takes it to the throne and he takes it to the father because he is our mediator and he's constantly talking to the father on our behalf and he's constantly shouting our fame and fighting our corner. And he takes the very confession of hope that he is and he takes it to the father and Boldly, we go to the Father with him as our confession for all our failures, all our weaknesses, all our shortcomings, all our lack, all of those things. We go into his presence with him as our mediator. We go to the Father and the Father releases grace and mercy for our weaknesses, for our times of needs, for our shortcoming. And the Father lavishes us with that grace and mercy. 
And as we keep doing that as a lifestyle, as we keep holding on to the confession of Christ as our hope, no matter what our circumstances look like, no matter how painful it might be, no matter how confusing it might be, we just keep standing on the word and we keep going back into God's presence and we keep chewing on the word and we keep going on a discovery and doors into the supernatural realm just keep opening and opening and opening and we get a greater vision of what it looks like to be living in a place of rest from the finished work. Every time we do that, our circumstances, they just drop off. They just begin to fall off. They begin to fall off. The pain and the trial and the toil and that place of unrest, it can't stand before a lifestyle where we're constantly going into the presence of God, confessing Jesus as our hope, confessing the word, praying the word, declaring it over ourselves, declaring the finished work. We just keep doing this as a lifestyle. And if we let God have his way in us, if we let him finish what he has begun in us. And we don't push it. And we don't enter into self-effort. We don't put a timer on, like, come on, Jesus, I've been confessing this for like five weeks now. Like, where's the finished work? If we don't do that and we just enjoy him, we just keep enjoying him. We just keep enjoying the bigger picture that he just keeps showing us of the finished work. We just keep enjoying the heavenly dance that we're in. Keep enjoying the discovery that we're in. And we're not pushing him to come up with external results. Then what he's doing on the inside of us, that heavenly citizenship becoming substance, that kingdom mindset being cultivated in us, if we just let him do that, then breakthrough will come in due time. And even if it doesn't come, We know in whom we have believed. Abraham didn't see the stuff that he was believing for, all the stuff that he had believed God for. He didn't see it. We are believers. We are believers. We trust God no matter what. The finished work is a finished work. It's finished. Nothing lacking, nothing short. Even when we don't see the things that we have believed God for, we still enjoy him. We still abide in him. And as we keep doing this as a lifestyle, our circumstances will have nothing on us. We will be a people that will bloom in the wilderness. We will be a people that will be refreshed in the desert places. No matter what happens in the political realm, no matter what happens in the financial realm, no matter what happens around us, we will stand firm. We will be a people that are unshakable because we are not of this realm. We are of another realm. We are of a heavenly realm. We are not earthly citizens having a heavenly experience. We are heavenly citizens having an earthly experience. Our identity, who we really are, we are seated in heavenly places. The more we keep doing this, the more we make this everything in our lives, the more we dwell in it, the more we abide in it, the more we will live from a heavenly citizenship, from a heavenly position. And that's what we need to strive for, to enter into that rest. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you. Um, if, if you want this, stand up. Um, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, we just thank you. Yeah, if the worship team want to come up, thank you. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, God, because we have got an invitation to enter into the rest. We have an invitation to enter and stay into 
your rest. To stay in your rest. To be free from fear, from anxiety, from worry, from unbelief. To be free from self-effort. To be free from doubt in the name of Jesus. And we receive that invitation afresh today. We break off every agreement that we have made with doubt. Every time we have stood aloof from your promises... Every time we have stood aloof from the finished work, we repent. Father, we draw close to you afresh today. We declare and decree that we are people of God, created to live from a place of rest. Father, we pull on you today for a hunger for the word of God like nothing before. For a thirst for the word of God, like anything that we've never, ever experienced before. Lord, I just pray right now that every single one of us would have a fresh place of visitation today. Where we would enter into a discovery of the word. Where who you are, your personhood, your beauty, your power, your finished work becomes to become so real to us, Jesus, where the discovery of it just consumes us, where we go on this incredible journey where the word is alive and active. Lord, I pray, God, that there would be an easy grace for every single person here to step into new realms of the supernatural. Father, it has to be a discovery. Discoveries are rarely stumbled upon. Discoveries are usually intentional. I pray that every heart here, with every inch of their being, would intend to discover you through your word like they never, ever have before. I pray, God, that every single one of us would grow in such a radical, radical way when it comes to understanding and living from a place of the finished work, living from your promises, living from who you are, from your goodness, from what you have said, from what you have done. Lord, I just bless you. We seal this word. And Lord, I release such a prophetic unction, God, that this word will indeed multiply and duplicate, Lord, that it will be so explosive It's your testimony, Jesus. This is your testimony. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 